They've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome, welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, the 20th day of October. Thank you for joining us. The year is 2023. We will pray the Angelus. It's noon in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived by the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Most Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray, pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. And we ask for the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Come, O Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of the faithful and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy spirit and they shall be created. O God, who by the, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful, grant that in the same spirit we may be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation through Christ our Lord. Amen. And we ask the angels to give us light. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaot, Plenis Uncelia Terra, Gloria Tua, Hosanna in Excelsis, Benedictus Quivenit in Nomine Domini, Hosanna in Excelsis. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, welcome. Are we enemies of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ? And how do we know? Well, it's interesting because this week we celebrated several saints, many saints, quite a few, um, who weren't enemies. On October 17th, we celebrated St. Ignatius of Antioch, bishop and martyr. On the 18th of October, we celebrated St. Luke Evangelist, and he was a martyr for the faith. On the 19th, we celebrated St. John de Berberf, St. Isaac Jogues, and Companions. There were, I believe, um, there was one layman and then five, uh, five or six other Jesuit priests who died with, um, you know, they were part of this, and Companions. You can look them up. I don't know, remember the names of all of them. Um, Gabriel Lalamont and then, uh, was it Lalamont? And then, um, uh, anyway, um, there were, and one of them was a layman. 
and one of them was a lay brother in the Jesuit order. He was received into the Jesuit order by St. Ignatius shortly before he was martyred. <laughs> and then today we have the feast of St. Paul of the Cross. Now, Paul of the Cross is not, he's not a um, martyr and he lived to be 81 years old, but Paul of the Cross founded the Passionist Fathers who have a tremendous devotion to the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what I want to do is I want to look at the readings that the church gives us for the days, okay, specifically for um, Ignatius of Antioch, um, uh, St. John de Berberf, and Ignatius of Loyola, and, and no, not Ignatius of Loyola, excuse me, St. John de Berberf, Isaac Jogues, and martyr companions uh, that were died in North America, and then um, St. Paul of the Cross. And I want to look at the readings that the church gives us for those feast days, um, they're memorials, so the, the, they, they didn't have to read the readings that were given for the day. But I think it's very instructive to show us how are we supposed to be living? How is our life in Christ supposed to look? So we're going to start with the readings for St. Ignatius of Antioch, not Ignatius of Loyola, sorry. Ignatius of Antioch, bishop and martyr, and Ignatius died in the year 107. Okay, so we have what? Philippians 3:17 through 4:1 and what does it tell us? Now this is St. Paul writing to the Philippians, not the Filipinos, but the Philippians. Join with others in being imitators of me, brothers and sisters, and observe those who thus conduct themselves according to the model you have in us. For many as I have told you and now tell you even in tears conduct themselves as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their minds are corrupted with earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we also await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will change our lowly bodies, change our lowly bodies and conform them to his glorified body by the power that enables him also to bring all things into subjection to himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, beloved, the word of the Lord, so what is Paul saying here? He says, well, be imitators of me, brothers and sisters, and observe those who conduct themselves according to the model you have in us. So what is Paul? What is he? How is he imitating Christ? Paul comes to the point where he writes in his letters, I live no longer I, but Christ lives in me. And there are other things that I will read today too. He writes about the death he carries about in his body, the death of Christ. He's not living a worldly life and he's not living for the world. He's living in imitation of Jesus Christ. And as he imitates Christ, he calls others to imitate him. Not because it's his example, because he gives the example of Christ Jesus. And that's the example we are to follow. And the us there you have in us is the others who, who work with him to spread the gospel and who sacrifice themselves and make sacrifices and go without the things of this world in order. And Paul will say in one letter, I know how to have abundance or to go or to be in want. 
I know how to go hungry or have plenty to eat. I, I know how to suffer. <laughs> and he talks about all the sufferings that he goes through. They being stoned and left for dead, being beaten with rods, being whipped, uh, 40 lashes less one several times, being shipwrecked, spending a night and day on the sea. Um, all the sufferings that he's gone through in order to follow, to, to present the gospel to as many as possible. And then he goes on. For many, as I have told you, and now tell you with tears, conduct themselves as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is in destruction. Their glory is in their shame. So what is he talking about? What are we supposed to do? Well, there are people who are slaves of gluttony, shamelessness and worldly a worldly way of thinking and paul weeps because their indulgence and pleasure is holding them back from hastening to heaven they're depriving themselves of the glory of god they're depriving themselves when we live a worldly life when we refuse to give up our attachment to the things of this world and we live a sinful life and say, oh god understands we you know he understands and you know, he, he wants us to give up this life of vice and, and also false doctrine. People who try to live by false doctrine because by doing so, they're abusing their Christian freedom and they're leading a life steeped in vice. And they are not in control of their bodies, but rather allowing their bodies and their sensual appetites to control them, and they're living for the pleasure of the flesh. Well, and it enslaves us if we do that. And it, Paul says their glory is in their shame. They take pride in behavior which is shameful. This may also be an allusion to other things, but to the shameful behavior of living in sin and trying to justify it. All right? So we we are supposed to be, you know, he tells us that their, their minds are occupied with earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. Do we have our hearts fixed there where true joys are while we live in this passing world? Or are we looking for a lasting happiness in this passing world? Because you see, a lasting happiness in this passing world is false. You'll never find a lasting happiness in this passing world. No one will. We're not called to a lasting happiness in this passing world. We're called to live a life of self-denial and discipline and an ordered life that uh, we discipline our minds and our bodies in order to give up the thoughts of this world and to give up the ways of this world in order to gain Christ. And if we don't do this, we're, we're in danger of losing our salvation. And it's, you know, Paul, it, Paul was never a once saved, always saved person. It was, you know, in the Greek that he writes, it's like, you know, those who um, are living according to Christ's ways need to be on guard because they could still lose their salvation. And those who are living a sinful life need to repent. And they still have a chance to repent. God hasn't decided who's going to heaven and hell. That's decided at the, at the judgment. So, I hear the music. We'll take a break. We're going to talk more about being friends of Christ rather than being his friends. Don't go away. Please share this 
Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome, welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, the 20th of October in 2023. And it's Mary Danielle today with her carding angel. Terry joins us in spirit. So we're talking about, are we enemies of the cross? Are we enemies of our Lord Jesus Christ and, and, and of his cross? And um, again, you know, Jesus never said it was going to be a cakewalk. And he never said it was going to be easy. He, he said it will be possible. Okay? Possible. Now, I'm talking today, we, I started with um, St. Ignatius of, of Antioch, who was a martyr, and the readings that were used by the church for that day. And the gospel reading for that day is from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, 24 through 26. And this is what it says. Jesus said to his disciples, Amen, amen, I say to you, unless the grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a grain of wheat. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. But whoever hates his life in this world will preserve it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, there also my servant will be. And the Father will honor whoever serves me. So Jesus tells his disciples, his apostles, excuse me, this is apostles. This is in John, John, the Gospel of John, chapter 12. He's telling his apostles, if you want to, to bear fruit for the eternal life, bear fruit for the kingdom, you have to die. We have to die to ourselves, to our own preconceived notions of how things should be, to our own egos, to our own self-will, to our own thoughts. We need to start thinking the thoughts of Christ. We have to put on the mind of Christ, which was what? Though he was in the form of God, he did not deem equality with God a thing to be grasped at. But rather, he emptied himself and took the form of a slave. And he was known to be of human estate. And it was thus that he humbled himself, obediently accepting even death, death on a cross. The Son of God made man died on a cross. He died a death that was considered in his day to be the most shameful kind of death. He was crucified, accursed be anyone who was hung on a tree. And yet he allowed himself to be crucified to show us, if you want to come after me, you too have to follow me. And so it's not about just doing whatever I want. It's not about having my way. It's not about living for pleasure. We have to wake up. Christians in the 20th and 21st century, we have to wake up and recognize we live in a world that is enslaved to worldly pleasures. We are living, our world is telling us, just live for entertainment. Go from entertainment to entertainment. Have your TVs on, have your computers on, have your, your iPhones with you all the time. You know, go to concerts, go to this, go to your sports games. Just constantly be distracted from the reality of life and the mundane and the sufferings of life. And, you know, so somebody hurts you, I just go to the bar and get drunk. You know, go buy some drugs on the street and, and get high. That's not Christ's way. That's not what Paul, the apostle, did. He suffered. And all of the saints suffered. 
And Jesus suffered first. He shows us. He didn't come to eradicate human suffering. He came to fill it with his presence so that our suffering can be united to Christ and have meaning. But we have to die the death, the death to ourselves, the death to our own flesh, and the death to the desire for pleasure and ease and comfort. You know, we live in a world, it's very, very interesting, the pleasure culture. You know, and, and the epitome of the pleasure culture is what, unfortunately? Contraception and abortion. The killing of innocent children because they're inconvenient to us. And where does it all start? Well, I'm just here for pleasure. I'm going to make the means an end in and of itself. So sexuality, instead of being a means to procreation and a means of union and love between a husband and wife, becomes I get to get what I want. I get to get my pleasure and nothing else. And I'm just concerned about myself. And, and we buy into this. It's so funny. I remember Father Fessio, the Jesuit who founded Ignatius Press, he used to tell people, you know, Diet Coke is like using contraceptives. You want the pleasure of drinking something that's pleasurable to your palate, but you don't want the consequence of weight gain. So you drink Diet Coke and everybody laughed. Father, you're taking it too far. You're taking, well, well, you know, I don't think he was. And there's another priest who pointed something out. What paved the way? What paved the way for an entire generation of nominal Catholics to reject Humanae Vitae without even reading it? Humanae Vitae is on the tr transmission of life. Humanae Vitae, human life, on the transmission of human life. And what does it mean? And what was happening? Advertisers were telling us to just have it easy, have an easy life. You know, they made these shows in the 1950s where the ideal, ideal American family was no bigger than three children. Most of them only had two, subtly brainwashing people into thinking, oh, two children, three children at the most, that's the perfect family. Everything's in perfect order. Everybody's happy. Everything always goes right. Everybody always has the right answers. And all of these are lies. These are total lies. And it's not true at all. And we developed foods and drinks that no longer nourish us, nor do they do the drinks hydrate us. They're only to satisfy our taste buds, our palate. We're living for the pleasure of eating as if the pleasure of eating was an end in and of itself. And just as the pleasure of sex is not an end in and of itself, it's a means the pleasure of eating is not an end in and of itself. It's a means to an end. And when, St. Augustine said, when you take the means and make it an end in and of itself, that's debauchery. And that's the world we live in, a world of debauchery. Now, oftentimes, you know, these foods, they have no calories even. You know, sometimes it's the sugar foods, okay, They've added sugar to everything to get us enslaved to our taste buds so that we're not really concerned about the nutritional value of the food. So, but it still has calories in it. You know, candy, all the cereals that are loaded with sugar, all of the, you know, breads, the, the desserts, the donuts, the, 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 just the, <laughs> so many places we can go to indulge our taste buds, but are we nourishing ourselves by doing so? Are we giving the nutrients to our body that our bodies need to be healthy and to be able to do our duty? 
which is the means of getting to heaven, the daily duty, the doing of our duties of our state and life. You know, our sanctification lies in the fidelity to doing the duties of our state and life. But you've had this experience. I'm sure many of you have had this experience. After a Thanksgiving dinner, we all go into a food coma. After a Christmas dinner, we all go into a food coma. You know, after indulging in all of this sugar at Christmas time and all the sweets and all the candies and and extra pastries that we make, we're, we we actually feel sick and sluggish and we're we're tired and we can't, we have a hard time doing the duties that we need. And if we're parents with children, we have a hard time keeping up with the little kids because the sugar and the stuff just makes them hyper. But it makes us tired when we get older. And it takes our energy. It zaps our energy. So we're living for the pleasure of eating just like with contraceptives and abortion. We're living for the pleasure of sex without getting the reason for it. Now, with sexuality, the purpose is procreation and union, loving union between the husband and wife, a sincere, total gift of self to the other in the conjugal embrace, which brings forth children. Food, the purpose of eating is to nourish the body so that we have the strength to do our duty. So we're going to, I'm going to move on to some of these other readings, but we have to examine our lives. And ask ourselves, are we enslaved to our palate? Are we enslaved to the the desires of our flesh? Are we allowing our carnal pleasure to rule us in whatever area of life, whatever it is that we're seeking, rather than keeping our heart fixed there where true joys are? We're supposed to keep our hearts fixed in heaven, which means we have to discipline our minds and our hearts and our bodies. So another saint we had this, this week that was an example. Oops, I have to get to back to my page of the saints here. So we did St. Ignatius of Antioch. Well, yesterday we had St. John de Berberf, St. Isaac Jogues, and companion martyrs. All right? Companion martyrs. It was the North American martyrs, and they were, compa- they were martyred by the um, Iroquois Indians and um, the Indians of the Seven Nations, I believe. Anyway, um, the first reading is from 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 15. And what does it say? 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 15 says what? But we have this treasure in earthen vessels to show that the transcendent power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith as he had who wrote, I believe and so I spoke. We too believe and we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is 
all for your sake, so that as the grace extends to more and more people, it increases thanksgiving to the glory of God. So let us not lose heart, though our outer man is wasting away, for the inner man is being renewed every day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Do we stop and meditate on these words? Do we stop? Now, the last two verses I read are the next two verses, which actually aren't read in the reading of the Mass. But the whole point of it is that. Why are we willing to go through the sufferings? Why was Jesus able and willing to go to the cross in view of the glory that would be revealed in him? The book of Hebrews tells us. He endured the cross, heedless of its shame, in view of the glory that would be revealed. And it's the same for us. Paul isn't a a masochist. He's not looking for suffering for the sake of suffering. Again, he's not making the means an end in and of itself. The means is to an end, and the end is our glorification in heaven. And I hear that music again, so we're going to have to take a break. We will talk more on the other side of this break about how to make sure that we're not being enemies of the cross. How to embrace that. Invite everybody to know Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers. And again, I do ask you to share this with all your family and friends. If anyone wants to make a donation, you can call 877-526-2151. You can make a donation to help support our radio, this apostolic endeavor. We're trying to spread the gospel. So we're talking today about enemies of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And how, how, are, we, how are we enemies or how are we not enemies? Well, we, we look to the letters of St. Paul because we had martyrs. We had several martyrs this week um, in, in our celebrations. And then today we have the Feast of St. Paul of the Cross, not Paul the, 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 the Apostle, but Paul of the Cross more recent. Um, he's, he founded the Passionist Order and they have a devotion to the Passion of our Lord. So when we, uh, we, we were reading um, from Corinthians, 2 Corinthians there, uh, 4, 7 through 15, where Paul talks about us holding this treasure, this great treasure in our earthen vessels so that God, God, God uses us, us weak human beings who are actually very sinful and are actually, <laughs> by original sin, we're, we're, we're enemies of God. But when we were baptized, we received God God took us into his family. He adopted us into his, into his family, and he, he came to live in us. So we received his life into our soul. So we become his very dear children. And so now this vessel, this vessel of clay, which is so weak, now it contains God. It's been divinized. You know, we are not called to mediocrity, and we're not called to live a sinful, self-indulgent, debaucherous life. We're called to live in union with Jesus Christ, in union with God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're called to acknowledge that we are temples of God, and we're supposed to live like that. We're supposed to live a holy life, a life of holiness and grace, and God will help us do that. But the power comes from God, St. Paul is pointing out here. It comes from God, okay? And in the end, he wants to, God wants to bring us to heaven. 
We will live eternally in union with God. But we, wants us, we have to begin to live in union with God now, here and now. And that's what we strive to do. And Paul, you know, all of his activity, his apostolic activity that he talks about here, this is only effective because he has united himself to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when he comes to the Corinthians, he had resolved to speak of nothing but the cross of our, to speak of nothing but Christ and of him crucified. He had tried to speak in Athens about the resurrection of Christ, and they laughed at him. And so he goes to Corinth, which is just this, the history of Corinth is just, Corinth, there were so many broken human beings in Corinth. Corinth was a very sinful place, and they had the, the temple of the goddess of love, which was not the goddess of love, but the goddess of lust. And they had all these temple prostitutes who set up their booze around it. And Corinth was a port city that had two ports. So you had sailors, and these sailors were retired soldiers and freed slaves. They were rough men. And, you know, to be a Corinthian girl meant that you were a prostitute for hire is what, that was the way it was in those days. And so you had, it's, it's rumored, by the way, it's, it's believed, by the way, in history that venereal disease originated in Corinth. <laughs> Corinth was a very lecherous city. And yet Jesus tells Paul, I have many friends here. All this mass of broken humanity, and God looks on us with compassion and pity. And he had, Paul made many converts in Corinth, but he didn't talk about the resurrection first. He talked about Christ and him crucified. He presented the cross. And the cross, again, is not an end in of itself. It's a means. Jesus Christ endured the cross, heedless of its shame, in view of the glory that would be revealed. But when we unite our sufferings to Jesus Christ crucified, all of our sufferings take on the value of the sufferings of the passion of Christ. They become infinite. And they become the means by which God gives grace to us and to the world to bring us back to himself, to reject the pleasure culture, to, re to, to say no and to die to our own flesh and to live for Christ and to live in union with Christ. And that the gospel for that day, by the way, for John Daber Burf and, and St. Isaac Jokes, is the gospel where Jesus tells the apostles to go out and preach the gospel to all nations and baptize them. They were to baptize people. To baptize people. It's interesting because those Jesuits who died martyrs, some of them were willing to walk 40 miles to baptize a single child. <laughs> and they were all willing to suffer and to, to make many sacrifices. It's like, it's like um, John Neumann, the, the first, first um, St. John Neumann, he was the first bishop of Philadelphia. And, and he went miles in an ox cart and then had to walk because the ox cart couldn't go to where there was somebody who needed confirmation in his parish and, and the person couldn't get to the, the town. So he went out in an ox cart as far as he could go. And then he had to walk the other, I think it was 10 more miles to confirm one person. And the same, Jesus said to baptize them. 
baptize them. So we don't brag about preaching the gospel for years and years and never baptizing anyone. That means we're not bringing Christ to the people and bringing people to, the Christ, to Christ, which is what we're supposed to be doing, which, by the way, what just our lives are supposed to do by their example. So we go out and baptize, and we make the sacrifices necessary. We have to pray for one another. And sometimes it takes a great grace for people to be moved. So we have to pray and sacrifice. And we need to pray and sacrifice for missionaries, that they will have the courage to baptize, even if it means that they will be put to death for it. And the same for us. We have the courage, that we have the courage to live a life of faith and to give up our pleasure and our indulgence in order to live a Christ-like life in this world so that we can get to heaven and that others will be moved by the example. And that's what St. Paul is holding up. He's holding up his example, not because he wants people to worship him, because this is the way we live as Christians and we look to one another. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, the book of Hebrew tells us. Yes, we look to the examples of those holy men and women who lived their lives of faith and didn't compromise. So then we have today's feast, St. Paul of the Cross. And we have a reading from Corinthians 1. It's uh, Corinthians 1, 18 through 25. And it says what? Corinthians 1, 18 says, For the word of the cross is folly for those who are perishing. The word of the cross is folly for those who are perishing. But for us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will thwart. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block for Jews and a folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greek alike, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So Paul is telling us, <laughs> and this is, the, this is the reading that's used for the, the saint of today, that the cross is a folly to those who are perishing, okay? It's a folly to those who are perishing. And by the way, the Greek, and this is where Paul, the Greek that he uses here, okay? Paul's Greek depicts this as an unfolding process and implies that the final verdict of God's judgment is still open. There is still hope for those who are perishing if they repent, and turn to God, and still danger for those who are being saved. I work out my salvation in fear and trembling, Paul said. He did not preach a gospel of once saved, always saved. We have to constantly work out our salvation, okay? And I will destroy 
the wisdom of the wise is a, a reference to Isaiah 29:14, and Isaiah predicts the destruction of every form of human wisdom that asserts itself against the wisdom of God. Against the wisdom of God. Well, what is this about wisdom? Wisdom, Sophia, the Greek word. There's a there's a word study here in the in the um, Ignatius Bible, Ignatius Study Bible, Study Bible. Um, the commentaries by Scott Hahn and Curtis Mitch. Wisdom, skill, and insight. The word is used 17 times in this letter, the letter to the Corinthians, and 34 times in the rest of the New Testament. Use of it resonates. <coughs> Excuse me. Use of it resonates. That's what I get for talking so much. Um, <clears throat> thank you. Thank you, Mr. Engineer. <laughs> thank you, God, for the hidden faces behind this that you don't see on camera. <laughs> so wisdom. All right. It resonates against the background of the Old Testament. Okay? The Torah is viewed as the embodiment of divine wisdom. The Torah. Oh, my goodness gracious. So, um, we're going to have to come back to this. Don't go away. We have more on how to be a friend of Christ and not an enemy of this place. And how to be divinized and to be united to Jesus Christ. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you for joining us and welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, the 20th of October, 2023. And we're coming to the end of this program. This is the last part of this program. And I want to thank you for joining us. Thank you to the radio stations that pick us up and broadcast our, our um, signal. And then thank you to all the social media platforms. And again, thank you all of you who support us with your prayers, your sacrifices, your sufferings, and who financially support us. And thanks to all of the those of you who have downloaded our app and have it, or who listen even on our, if you listen on the computer on our own website. So please do share this though with everyone you know, and let them know there's a Bible study, not only a Bible study, but the other programs that we have on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And we're talking today about are we enemies of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ? Well, we don't want to be. We want to be his friends. And so we're looking at the letters of Paul and the Gospels and the saints of this week to see how we can do that. And we're talking about wisdom right now because we were looking at 1 Corinthians, um, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 25, which is the the reading for the memorial today, if someone, if the, the people, that you don't necessarily have to read it, it's an alternate, but... It talks about wisdom and the foolishness of the world and how the folly, the wisdom of the world is folly. So the Torah is viewed as the embodiment of divine wisdom. You can see that in Deuteronomy 4, 5, and 6. And Sirach 24, 23 through 25. 
Then you have the wisdom books associated, associated with King Solomon portray wisdom as the art of prudent living. Prudent living, living according to God's plan. That's prudent living. God gave this wisdom to Solomon to instruct Israel and the Gentiles in the way of righteousness, 1 Kings 4, 29 through 34. Wisdom is also personified in the Old Testament as a craftsman of creation. Look at Proverbs 8 and Wisdom 7, 22. And one who directs human history, Wisdom 9 through 11. That's chapters 9 through 11. Wisdom in this sense had its beginning in eternity, see Sirach 24.9, and is closely associated with the word of God, Wisdom 9.1 and Sirach 24.3, as well as the work of the Holy Spirit, Wisdom 9.17. Paul relies on these traditions to make a sharp contrast between the wisdom that comes from God and the philosophical wisdom of men celebrated by the Greeks. For the apostle, Jesus Christ is the divine wisdom of God, 1 Corinthians 1 24, that is given to believers through the inpouring of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 1 30, and 1 Corinthians 2 7 through 13, and Ephesians 1 17, and Colossians 2 3. As such, it cannot be equated with the ingenuity of the philosophers and the thinkers. So it's not our worldly thoughts. It's not our worldly endeavors that are going to get us to heaven. It's God and living in union with God. And so the, the cross of Christ, which is, you know, it, the cross of Christ. We look at it and it's like, are you serious, Lord? Do I have to do that? And it's just, it take up our cross daily. It's interesting because the gospel for today, uh, for St. Paul of the cross, is Jesus saying, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow after me, all right? And the man who loses his life will find it, but whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. So if we're just living for this world, we're not going to get to heaven. What profit would, it, would one gain to have the whole world, to have the whole world and for, forfeit his life. What profit do we have if we have the whole world and lose our eternal salvation? This is what he's saying. We must strive for our eternal salvation. And it's an arduous task. We can't give anything in exchange for our life. What can we give in exchange for our life? For when the Son of Man comes with his angels in his Father's glory, and then he will repay each one according to his conduct. So we will be judged according to our conduct. It's not just, I say, the Lord Jesus is Lord, and I accept him as my Lord and Savior, and that, boom, boom, done. No, I have to live. I have to live it. And it's an arduous task. And this is what Paul is talking about. Okay? <clears throat> so that we have to live according to Christ. He's going to preach the cross. You know, where is, the, where is the, the wise man? Where is the wise man? The wise man isn't going to get us to heaven. Where is the scribe? The scribe, you know, the, the one who studies the scriptures and, and the Torah. They're not going to get us to heaven. <clears throat> where is the debater of this age? That's not going to get us to heaven. It's carrying the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And that doesn't mean we have to go out and look for suffering, okay? The suffering comes to us. Sanctification is in the doing of the duties of our state in life, moment by moment, day by day. Fidelity to the duties of our state in life. And it's an arduous task. I talked earlier in this program about the pleasure culture that we live in and that we're living. We've made the means the ends in and of themselves. For instance, in sexuality, pleasure becomes the means. In eating and drinking, pleasure becomes the means. No, excuse me, pleasure becomes the end in and of itself. Pleasure becomes the end in and of itself. For our world, pleasure in sex becomes the end in and of itself. And pleasure in eating and drinking becomes the end in and of itself. Without regards in, in, in sexuality, without regards for the human person, the dignity of the human person, without regards for love, without regards to our promise, to our vows, without regards to our children. Because the purpose of sexuality is procreation and the union of the spouses and their sanctification. A union in love, which is a complete, total gift of self to the other without holding anything back. And the, the purpose of eating is, and drinking is to nourish our body and to hydrate us. Water. <laughs> Adam's ale here. Adam's ale. The best hydration you have. It's the best. And yet we drink all kinds of drinks and eat all kinds of foods that give us very much pleasure to our palate, but don't nourish us and don't hydrate us because we're entrapped in this slavery. So this is the arduous task that we have to free ourselves from this enslavement and don't do it all at once. We can't do it all at once. One step at a time. Acknowledge first and foremost, where are we in regards to this? Where are we in regards to the cross of Christ? Do we love suffering? Do we love sacrifice? Do we love the cross? Well, where do we begin then? No, I don't like sacrifice. <laughs> I don't love it. I remember my mother used to say to us when we were kids, Children, love makes sacrifice easy, and perfect love makes sacrifice appear joy. And I used to think to myself, I am lost because sacrifice isn't easy for me. And as far as a pure joy goes, well, <laughs> I'll never attain perfect love. And then I read in St. Francis de Sales, that's not the essence of love. It's not the foundation of love. <clears throat> the beginning of love for the human being is not benevolent love. Benevolent love is desiring the good of the other. For the human being, complacent love is the beginning, and that is taking delight in the one that I love. So Francis de Sales says, can you look at God and will to take delight in the good that you see? And yeah, I thought to myself, yes, I can do that. I can see a beautiful sunset and say, God, that is so beautiful. Thank you. I, I delight that. I see beautiful flowers. I see the children and when they play and oh my gosh, there's such a delight. And I can rejoice in that. And I can see people when they're truly having good, wholesome fun. It's, it's a joy. Or just living their lives and, and serving their families. It's a joy. Yes, I can will to take delight in that. Even when I'm depressed, I can will to take delight in that. And I can begin to say, Lord, I need the grace. I need the grace to love suffering. I need the grace to love sacrifice. I need the grace to love the cross. But I embrace the folly of the cross. I can renounce my perfect paradise. You know, I want a perfect family where nothing ever goes wrong and everybody's always kind and loving and generous and serving one another and happy and because of their kindness and their loving service to one another. And uh, that's not the way it happens, is it? <laughs> you know, there are factions within the family. There's fighting. There's 
disagreements. We don't always see things the same way, but we don't have to crush one another. We don't have to criticize one another. We can love in the midst of the differences. So I don't have to agree with every thought you have. I can still love you. And I don't have to criticize you because you don't agree with every thought I have. And I don't have to control your life. Each one of us has a vocation. Each one of us has a call from God. And our first call is to live in union with him. We're called to live in union with God. We're called to be divinized. For God to live in us. What was it Paul said? I live now, not I, but Christ lives in me. Yeah. So I, Paul says he fills up in his own flesh what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his body, the church. It's in Colossians. So we fill up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his body, the church, and for the good of souls, for salvation of our own souls and the souls of others. So we can offer all of our sufferings, all of our crosses, toils, and disappointments. We can renounce our perfect paradise. We can embrace the, the confusion of the moment that we live in. And some people live in very confusing moments. Families are falling apart. People live in neighborhoods where they're surrounded by, by criminals, rapists, drug addicts, drug pushers, um, extortioners. And, and how do they maintain Christ? There was a woman, Grandma Moses, and she raised five children in Harlem. But she raised her children on the Bible. And none of her children got involved in illicit sex. They not, none of them got in, became drug addicts. None of them became criminals. And then when her children were all grown, she took into her home drug babies. They called her dr Grandma Moses. She took into her home drug babies, and she weaned them cold turkey of the drugs by holding them and loving them. And then when the mothers would, have, would get out of prison, she would tell the mothers, you have to now make a life for your child. You have to make a better life for yourself. Find a way, find it, get, get, get education in um, vocational training or in school and make a better life, but a Christ-like life, a life that's based on the values of scripture, what God has taught us. So the wisdom of God is wiser than the wisdom of this world. It can be done. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. Give your life to Christ and moment by moment in the struggles of everyday life, Think of Jesus. Have the cross close by. Embrace the folly of the cross. And Lord, I want heaven. I want heaven. I want you. Give me the grace of final perseverance. If I'm in the state of grace, keep me in the state of grace. If I'm not in the state of grace, put me in the state of grace. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Please support this apostolate. 877-526-1151. Thank you for all of those of you who support us financially, for your sufferings, for your prayers, your sacrifices, and all those who volunteer to help us. And the radio stations that pick us up and share this with everyone you know. Let them know that there is a Bible study and there's Virgin Most Powerful Radio and all of our programs.